Growing up and attending high school is difficult enough without at the same time navigating one's gender identity. A new study offers insight on the plight of transgender teens. Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Marina Koff, and on today's show, I'm joined by two people from the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University, Professor of Counseling Psychology, Dr. Eric Chen, and School Psychology doctoral student, Hannah Sugarman. They spearheaded a new study on transgender students in hopes that their findings would help others. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What was the thrust of this study? What did you set out to achieve? Our study's purpose was to look at ways to make public education more supportive for transgender students. So we tried to look at how these students negotiate their identity in school. We want to understand the challenges that they face going through the school environment, disclosing their identity to their family and friends, and also understand how they demonstrated resilience through these challenges that they faced. I'm a faculty member in the department where we have counseling uh, students. These students will become school counselors. So these uh, school counselors, they are likely going to counter transgender students or students who are questioning their own gender identity. So it is important for uh, school counseling students to be educated, to be aware of the challenges facing the transgender students. So I think this study would help us uh, understand uh, transgender students' experience when uh, they uh, in the high school settings, and that would allow us to prepare future school counselors as well as school psychologists and working with this population so they could better assist them in affirming their own transgender identity. So where did the idea for the study come from first? Actually, um, I've been at Fordham for probably 20 plus years, and I identify myself as a gay man. So as a member of the LGBT community, I feel compelled to, to help the public understand the issues, struggles, concerns of LGBT individuals. And so over the past 20 plus years, one of my research areas pertains to providing affirmative counseling for the LGBT individuals in counseling, and particularly through group counseling as well. So I have to conduct research in this area for quite some time, and then later on some of my students focus more on the bisexual individuals' own experience, because again, bisexual individuals' experience are, very, are somewhat different. Actually, not somewhat. It's also different from lesbian and gay men's experience as well. And then when I learned through working with students on bisexual individuals' own experience of being in the same sex as well as opposite sex relationships, I recognized a lot of my assumptions about bisexuals. And so that helped me think about further another subgroup, which is the transgender individuals. Yeah, so for me, my interest in the topic really began when I was a senior in undergrad. I was on the executive board for our Pride Alliance, so I worked with a lot of LGBTQ individuals and learned a lot about their stories. And one recurring theme was that transgender students at our school didn't really have supportive upbringings, and they didn't have in particular, supportive school experiences. So my goal back then was to work with, you know, the community to make our school more accessible to transgender students. And now going forward in my career as a school psychologist, I see that there are so many schools out there and so many teachers who might be well-meaning, but don't 
really have the vocabulary or the understanding and don't know how to work with students who exist you know, outside of the gender binary who are transgender. So my goal in conducting this study was really to, you know, speak to transgender individuals and shed light on these issues and figure out how we as education professionals can help them. So how did you decide to go about the study? How did you figure out how you were going to help this community of transgender students going through high school? They don't really have the resources or role models to help them through this time. So how did you figure out what you were going to do in the study? So let me actually clarify that uh, we do, as researchers, uh, what uh, we need to be careful about is not to assume we know uh, what we uh, need to find out from them and uh, we have our assumptions. So that's something I always uh, try to be very careful about because we uh, neither uh, Hannah nor I identify as transgenders. So we don't know specifically what transgender individuals' experience are like. So we try to make explicit our assumption. And our assumption is not necessarily to, to, to educate them or to, to teach them. Instead, it's for them to educate us, to teach us, so that they could help us understand their experience better so that uh, we could provide support for them in the future. It's with that uh, mindset uh, which um, want to communicate to uh, our prospective participants in terms of our um, uh, motive. It's not as if that we try, we'd believe there was something wrong with them. And so we operate on the assumption that uh, would they trust us to be their allies, to give voice to them, to understand their experience better so that uh, we could uh, collaborate on this project as well as future projects so that we could educate the public, we could educate uh, uh, prospective transgender students' own parents, teachers, so they could uh, be better prepared to help their own children and students in the future. So it is for that reason we work hard to, to over overcome their own, uh, our prospective uh, prospective transgender participants' own skepticism as well as resistance, because sometimes they would wonder what's the motive behind our study. Hannah could also share with you later when she presented the findings of her study at our recent educational conference. She also encountered some kind of skepticisms and negative reactions from transgender audience members as well. What kind of skepticism did you receive from people about the study? So as Eric said, you know, I do not identify as a member of the transgender community. And because of that, it can look to some people that I'm that I'm trying to impose my ideas of what a transgender individual's journey might look like, or I'm trying to impose the standards of, you know, the coming out process on them. Um, and when I did present my study, I encountered some people who th they're what they understood from my presentation was that I was trying to impose these these constrictions on them. I was trying to look at their experiences and match them alongside a model and say, here is step one of the model. This is where this person did it. Step one. Here's step two. And, you know, that is a very valid concern for transgender individuals. They are they don't necessarily want to be 
you know, it just applied to a model and looked at as an other. So my intention in this study, as Eric kind of discussed, is more to look at our school systems and look at where our school systems are going wrong in working with students in all issues regarding gender. Not necessarily just that we need to fix the system for transgender students, but we need to look at the problems so we can fix the system for all students. So how did you do that? How did you look at the issues? So uh, we discussed a variety of uh, possible methods uh, with which we could uh, carry out the study. The research uh, methods uh, tend to utilize uh, interviews with very small groups of individuals to understand uh, their own personal stories and what uh, the meanings behind their own personal journeys seem to be and so that we could understand a little better and about each individual's own experience. How did you find your participants? Once we identified the range that we were looking for, which was participants ages 18 through 24, um, who identified as inside the gender binary, either as male or female, anything outside of the gender binary. Um, so once we identified these criteria, what I did was recruit on social media. I reached out to transgender individuals, individuals that I knew and asked them to spread the word and ask around. But primarily it was a social media and Facebook that really helped me to find my participants. Mm -hmm. And then so once you decided upon the individuals, what kinds of questions did you ask them in your interviews? I started off by asking them to just in a very broad sense, tell me about their gender identity. And typically, I do like to start with a broad question because that gives them the chance to talk about anything that is coming to the forefront of their mind, you know, when the idea of transgender and being transgender at school comes up. So that question was my jumping off point, um, a springboard for them to start talking about their experiences of beginning to navigate that identity and understanding who they were. So once we got past that initial question, I spoke to them about specific experiences they had at school. I asked them about specific experiences they had with their family. I asked them what challenges they faced that they can recall, what experiences really they think might have shaped their identity and how they understand. And I asked them what coping strategies they used. Um, and then I finally ended the interview by asking them, for suggestions, you know, I wanted to ask them, what would you want to tell me as a school psychologist who's cisgender? What do I need to understand and know about creating a safe environment for you and for all students, regardless of gender identity? And did any of the stories that they that they told you stand out to you at all? Yes, definitely. Okay. There were a number of really interesting, upsetting or illuminating stories that, you know, they, they told me. So through interviewing the participants, we came to a number of just basic conclusions based on the information that they gave us. So one of these conclusions were that all three participants did know they were transgender from an early age. They might not have had the language to describe it, and they might not have really known what it meant, but they felt that something was different about them. Mm -hmm. They spoke to me about experiences where they experimented with their gender identity. So for example, one of my participants talked about how she would, you know, try on her sister's clothing. And she told herself, I'm actually gonna tell my parents I'm transgender if 
my sister ever moves out because then she's going to take her clothing with her and I need her clothing. They talked about how they had once put on their mother's lipstick and their mother came home. So they quickly had to hide it and they smeared it all over their cheeks and they said, oh, it's cold in here. I'm really cold. That's why my face is all red. That was one experience that a lot of participants shared with me that they were experimenting and they didn't quite know what to call themselves. And then once they started to think about their gender identity and they really kind of allowed themselves to experiment, all three participants went through a period of complete denial. So they had understood that they were transgender and they had these thoughts, but they all took different strategies to kind of elevate those feelings of discomfort. So one of my participants explained that she put on a persona of hatred, meaning that she would use negative words towards LGBT individuals. She would curse. She would just in general not, she would do as far as possible to get herself away from that community. Another participant talked about complete denial. They said that it felt like a giant secret for a long time. It was a really heavy, dark thing that I could not look at too closely. And they said that avoiding it was their primary coping mechanism. Apparently, it seems like a lot of these participants experienced that distress and discomfort of being who they are back then. And so they had to avoid that distress associated with being transgender. And that those kind of coping strategies were quite protective of them to, in order for them to cope with the stress they experience on a daily basis from their own in the school environment and at home, or maybe even from the mass media that seem to tell them that you are supposed to be a boy or you are supposed to be a girl when they experience themselves the opposite or the otherwise. So that definitely seems to be their own coping strategy to discount the distress they encounter on a daily basis. But I think that also reflects the pressure they experience from our society. And um, I think um, these um, those participants, when they were in high school, that... Um, probably a few years ago, that back then I would assume that um, there's even less awareness toward uh, transgender individuals and uh, that I would uh, not be surprised that there was not even those kind of the bathroom facilities uh, in school that uh, would seem to uh, allow uh, individuals, uh, transgender individuals to use. So that definitely would uh, definitely create a lot of discomfort, concerns, uh, distress for them and and so these kind of coping strategies were quite um, protective for of them to use in back then. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Marina Koff, joined by two people from the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University, Professor of Counseling Psychology, Dr. Eric Chen, and School Psychology Doctoral Student, Hannah Sugarman. They spearheaded a new study on transgender students in hopes of helping others. So you did find that there were commonalities um, among your three participants. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Um, especially when it came to their school experiences, I found that, so none of my participants experienced any physical harassment. They experienced verbal harassment um, and they experienced a lot of teachers and school professionals who 
wanted to be supportive, but they didn't really know what transgender was. And they didn't really know how to address anyone who existed outside of their ideas of what gender is supposed to be. So, for example, one of my participants never discussed with her teachers about her gender identity. It never came up. But she just could not stand being called a boy or being called male. So as a result, she actually skipped school over and over to the point when she eventually dropped out um, because she had missed so much school. And she explained that her teachers said to her, you know, you're a bright student. I want to know what's going on with you. But then they used those male pronouns and they addressed her by her male name. And it just was she felt very alienated from this. And as a result, she wasn't able to confide in them. And then another participant kind of explained a similar story. They talked about how they had an art teacher who was so helpful to them in understanding their sexuality, but that teacher didn't really know anything about transgender issues. They were the teacher who was in charge of the Gay-Straight Alliance, and that's what it was. It was a Gay-Straight Alliance. There was no mention of transgender at all in there. So my participant felt as though there wasn't a space for them to explore that gender identity component. They felt comfortable with their sexual orientation and identifying as bisexual at that time, but they felt as though even the most supportive adults just didn't have that education to help them. Mm -hmm. But so most of your participants, they did have like a not not a role model, really, but more like a someone they could confide in and someone that they that tried to reach out, but they really just didn't have the training or the resources to help that student specifically navigating their trans transgender identity. Yeah, what's remarkable was that uh, even though uh, these three participants in Hannah's study did not disclose their own transgender identity to the adults or those uh, other um, teachers in school, they seem to be able to find some supported individuals in school setting where they, who seem to be quite supportive of them to explore who they are. And so I think that's consistent with my view as a psychologist that it's not necessarily you need to force them to disclose to others who they are per se. Is the presence of your support, emotional support in particular, that would affirm their own uh, continued journey to uh, find out who they are, that is, uh, I think, much more uh, important than anything else. Actually, before I came here for our conversation, I remembered uh, the movie I saw last weekend, The Miseducation of the Cameron Post, who uh, identified as a lesbian in ten, um, as a when she uh, a lesbian when she was a teenage girl and she fell in love with oh maybe she <laughs> met out with a uh, girl in her Bible study and then later she was sent to a, uh, a boarding school for the, to convert her own sexual orientation and then it was that sense of self denial self annihilation that seemed to cause so much distress. So in Hannah's study, those participants were quite resilient. Now, in addition, not only because of their own own strength, in 
own words, their own inner strength, but also because of the support they receive from others to continue their own self-exploration, their own self-examination that seem to make a difference. So of course, it would be great, uh, it would be ideal to have, those, to have those parents or the teachers or the adults who seem to have the vocabulary, who know how to, to help them in their journey. But uh, I think we are going to get closer to that point, but not quite yet. But nonetheless, I think the bottom line is to, to, for the parents, teachers to provide that kind of space for them to explore their own confusion, their own understanding, their own self-examination, so they will not be judged or they will not be pressured to, to in their own process of their own self-examination and exploration. These participants showed some sort of resilience. Can you just explain what you mean by that a little more? Sure. So resilience is the ability to face obstacles and, you know, keep going. So re resilience is the ability to face obstacles and persevere through them and take advantage of supports you may have or find that inward strength and take advantage of that and really persevere through challenges. One way where that is kind of manifested in my participants is one who, the one who did drop out of school. You know, she felt as though her academic career was going to come to an end because of the, just the discomfort she felt. But she did find that inner strength within herself to seek out an alternative school setting that was more comfortable for her, which was a online type of school setting. Um, so that's an example of resilience. A participant who didn't give up despite the immense challenges that they faced, but instead sought out an environment that was more fitting. And then another student who faced, who experienced resilience and really demonstrated it to me in our interviews was, this, this can happen when a friend isn't so supportive. It can really impact that resilience and requires a lot of strength to get through these experiences. So a participant had found a photo of a, a transgender individual and they were kind of looking at this photo as their role model. They, they thought to themselves, wow, this person looks so cool, they're so attractive, and this is what I can be someday. And they kind of viewed this picture as a symbol of hope, strength, and they showed this picture to a friend and said, do you think this is cool, this picture? And the friend said something along the lines of, you know, oh my gosh, why would you show me that? That person is so horrifying looking, like so ugly. Please put that away. And the friend was really the opposite of supportive. And, you know, this really impacted my participant because they felt as though if they ever tried to talk about their own gender presentation or identity with their friend, they would receive that same really harsh words and treatment. But the participant did experience, they did demonstrate resilience because they did come out as transgender. They did eventually work through the fact that they knew they might face these issues and they drew on other sorts of supports and really demonstrated that they could bounce back. When the individuals are resilient, they do not give up hope easily. They believe that it's going to get better. So you could think of the resilience as someone who is being resourceful who find resources online, just like um, Hannah said. And that, uh, the lots of those uh, transgender individuals uh, these days seem to be able to find comfort and support uh, through social media. They may join the Facebook group. They may uh, uh, probably uh, learn from other transgender individuals who are uh, maybe at 
later stage of their own uh, transgender uh, development, and uh, so they learned uh, different kind of strategies. And all they may, whenever they have encounter some kind of issues, they may pose those kind of questions, the challenges online uh, through the face Facebook page, for example, and they can learn from the, those individuals, and that will help them to develop different kinds of the coping strategies, and that will allow them to to negate the distress they may otherwise experience. What were the coping strategies that they used, and what exactly were they? Trying to cope with what were the things that they had to cope? I think those uh, coping strategies would be varied, and uh, it can be as simple as well. How do you deal with uh, using the bathroom in high school? And on a daily basis, just as simple as that. How do you minimize the the distress? That uh, how do you deal with that situation when in the, when you are in a public space uh, when you need to use the bathroom? Uh, and but there's no uh, gender uh, central gender neutral bathroom. Well, how do you deal with that situation? So then they could uh, learn to, to a, a wide range of uh, coping strategies that way. How do you uh, minimize uh, to, to solve the problem like that, or maybe coping strategies. Could be at interpersonal level. How do I um, interact with my peers、uh, when they ask me to who am I going to hang out with? Who am I going to date? Who am I? Who am I dating? So how do I deal with those kind of questions?、Uh, maybe on regular basis from the parents, for example, and local maybe on emotional level. How what do I tell myself? And what do I want to become? So there are those kind of coping strategies will vary depending on the context. And then if I Have to, to go to church on one Sunday. So how do I deal with those kinds of the questions? How do I decide whether or not I want to, to change my clothing? That even though that's not who I am. So there are wide a variety of the specific. Situations that might be stressful to, for each individual. In addition, I think it is important for also for us to recognize that for change.、Mm-hmm. Who do you hope the study reaches? Now that it's over, <laughs> or not over, but now that you completed your research, who, who is, who do you want this to reach?、Uh, I would personally love it to reach trans.、Uh, first of all, I love it to reach transgender、um, individuals, and just as a way for them to see that you know they're not on their own if they're feeling alone in school. That there are people who've gone through these experiences as well. In addition, it's targeted at educational professionals and. Psychology professionals, and for them to start to understand the issues that these students might be facing, and for them to really challenge their own assumptions and examine their own behavior. So, some of the important takeaways that I think are important for school psychologists, school counselors, teachers, school administrators to understand are that first of all, binary spaces, spaces where you have to exist as male or female. Are very scary and harmful to transgender students. A participant talked about how they would feel so unsure and unsafe in the bathroom because they never really felt as though it was a space for them as a gendered space. Participants also talked about、um, locker rooms, which are gendered spaces, classes which were separated by gender. In general, I want one takeaway to be that we need to figure out how to eliminate these rigid and gendered spaces. And then another takeaway is. The education component, and the fact that we need to start disseminating that language and get people to 
ask transgender individuals what they want to be referred to as. For my own life, I've tried to now get into the habit of identifying myself by my pronouns and saying, you know, I'm Hannah, I use she, her pronouns. Let's all go around and explain our pronouns. And just small things like that that normalize the idea that just looking at someone, you shouldn't be assuming their gender, you shouldn't be assuming their pronouns. And this is something that teachers do. They walk into the classroom and they say, boys line up over here, girls line up over here. Jessica, you're a boy. John, Jessica, you're a girl. John, you're a boy. And that can be so harmful for a transgender student. Mm. So I definitely want educators to be aware of these issues. And I want them to be aware that some students have no family support or they don't have that social support. And they might need to step in and be that advocate and be that person who is willing to go, go to bat for the students. Yes, indeed. Actually, there, there are a wide range of ways that I hoped uh, we could um, capitalize on the findings of the study as well as other studies that my other student is doing, which is that to educate the public and whatever that form, ways that I could uh, available to us to, um, to share with others uh, what we have learned from the study as well as all other uh, studies about transgender individuals. So, um, and so I think Hannah presented the findings at a education conference. That's one way. And then uh, for us to talk about these, our research study in our own classroom, for me as an educator uh, for future counselors and psychologists, definitely is a way to uh, bring awareness. So these students can later affect or change their own peers, the students as well as the parents they work with in the future. Great. Well, thank you both so much for sitting down and talking to me. I'd like to thank Dr. Eric Chen and Hannah Sugarman for coming on our show today. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and keep up with our weekly podcasts. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Marina Koff. <laughs>